here we are, another Darko Audio podcast, a bit of a different episode this week as we talk to a musician, uh, Alessandro Cortini. You might have heard of his name before. He's the guitarist for Nine Inch Nails. He's just put out a record with techno pioneer Daniel Avery, and he lives in Berlin. Welcome, Alessandro. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I think we should uh, start by just giving listeners the background on this conversation, because we're probably going to refer to it at some point in that you emailed me about IEMs. We were going to meet because we both live in Berlin, but the, the lockdown prevented that. So last week, we had a very long conversation about what turned into like a long conversation about audio gear, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we decided on the back of that, that we would do a podcast about it. And you could talk more about um, the audio gear that you use in your professional studio, but also in your, in your personal life, right? So do you want to start by talking us through, are, are you in your studio now? Is that where you I are am. now? Yeah. Right. So what, what kind of gear do you use for playback in your studio? Uh, well, the playback um, of, uh, you know, of uh, recordings is mostly, um, obviously it's all computer. I don't have anything analog when it comes to, to the recording of music. Uh, mm-hmm. Sound generation is analog. It's mostly synth- analog synthesizers. But when it comes to the, one of the most important pieces in my, my studios definitely is the speakers, which are barefoot uh, MM27. So the first generation barefoot speakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was my first big, you know, investment probably ten years ago, um, and still the one that I would save from a fire. Aside from obviously a few selected synthesizers, <laughs> obviously, but uh, being you know the, my, uh, my main thing is is synths. So most of my sound generation is is comes from synthesizers, and and uh, I've amassed quite a. Um, a family throughout the years, but uh, the barefoot were chosen because of the the fact that they have built-in subwoofers, and so they allow me to work at very low volumes and and get a fairly you know accurate you know accurate sound that I don't have to self doubt too much. Your work as a solo artist is mainly synth based, isn't it? It's electronic music, noise, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I, uh, I I was born guitar player. Um, went to the U.S. and studied guitar at Musicians Institute and then graduated realizing that I wasn't really into guitar music as much as I thought I was. Loved it, but as a guitar player, I wasn't, I didn't feel expressive with the guitar. And I would always come home and, you know, I already invested in a MacBook, uh, well, a PowerBook at the time, and mm-hmm. I would make music on the PowerBook and, and there were arrangements, usually electronic music arrangements on Logic Audio at the time and Reason you know, or rewire at the time. And, um, so from, and then the first virtual instruments, you know, um, from Steinberg and whatnot. And then, uh, from there, I just, you know, got, uh, fell in love with electronic music ma- ma- making and, uh, got more into hardware synthesizers when I realized that the tactile experience had so much to do with the creative aspect, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the let's say the, the ease of use of the computer, which has its place, obviously. Mm. And, uh, and then from there on, um, it's been, a you know, an, it hasn't been a day without music in one way, in one form or another. Most of the time is making music, which I make exclusively for personal enjoyment and as a, as a consequence, it also becomes a product and mm. also passively because I still love uh, listening to music as much as I, well, especially recently, but as much as I used to when I was a kid. 
So do you, do you listen to music in your studio with your barefoot? Um, not as much as you would think, because they're great speakers and their room is tuned with sonar works. So, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the playback and the sound uh, balance in the listening position is perfect, to me at least, mm. uh, or, or at, least, at least good enough for me to mix a record on. Yeah. Um, but I love listening uh, with in-ears or headphones. I don't know why, but I just, because then maybe I can be on the couch or in bed. I like falling asleep with good music and good quality. And so for the most part, unless I'm putting a record on in the living room, which doesn't happen too often because I'm very self-conscious and I, I prefer having my own little theater in my mind. For the most part, <laughs> I listen on headphones. Yeah. Right. So does that mean that you, I mean, do you not play music in your living room because you don't want to upset your neighbors or just because you just prefer headphones just purely for the listening experience? Uh, yeah, I think it's a cross between the two. I don't, it's not about upsetting. I, I just, I feel conscious, you know, self-conscious of having people yeah. listen to the music I listen to, not because of the music itself. It's yeah. just, you know, um, it's easier to turn it up in headphones than it is and enjoy it than it is on a, on a, on a, you know, on a hi-fi system in my opinion, but I still, you know, there's a difference, obviously, because when I listen to records, then that music is placed in a specific spot in a room as opposed to straight into my ear, injected in my ears. So it's a different, you know, it has a different emotional, um, you know, impact as well. But, you know, I don't have a perfect listening environment in the living room. I'm sitting to the left mm. of the speaker, so I have to play with the balance of the left and right to sort of get a pseudo stereo, even though my right ear is the one that is facing them anyway. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just mm. not designed to be that way at this stage. In the studio, I have a perfect, perfect listening environment. But I think since so much of what I do in the studio is creating music, mm. I don't really listen that much. I mean, I occasionally watch movies here, but I don't really use it as a passive listening station, unless it's stuff that I recorded that I'm listening through, you know, listening back to. Mm. I don't, I don't really use it much uh, for music listening. I much prefer having headphones or in ears. Recently, it's been mostly in ears than headphones because I only have one pair of headphones that I have had forever that I love and I use to, for mixing too, which are Grado RS ones, the old ones. I've had them for twelve years, and actually, they mm. came back not too long ago from them from a second repair in twelve years, which is pretty good. And uh, but um, it's interesting because I, I read on I think on Twitter this morning somebody had written it's impossible to mix and master on headphones. How do you feel about that? Well, I think every strong statement is by default wrong. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's everything, anything is possible. Mm. And I think, um, if you ask successful mastering engineers or mixing engineers, they'll tell you the more, the more speakers or speaker kinds you can test your material on, the better, you know? Mm. I mean, I'm not a mastering engineer, so the master engineers probably will say, no, I just need to mix a, a master on my own speakers. And I'm assuming their speaker choice came after years and years of research, so I respect that. But in mm. general, I'm not a master engineer. From a mixing point of view, I'll always AB between headphones and speakers and and uh, I, I kind of stopped having to play it in other systems, as in car and stuff like that, because with the barefoot, I reached a system that I can trust. And mm. um, there's less pit pitfalls. There, you know, like I remember when NS stands were the standard to mix. You know, there was always a certain way of working on those because they weren't particularly good sounding speakers. You know. Mm. Um, but uh, I like. I, I grew up listening to music with headphones, so I will always. Um, validate a certain specific approach through listening to music through headphones, you know, whether it's working or enjoying the music. 
So you're not somebody who makes a record to sound good in a car, necessarily. You, you prefer to make it sound good on a good pair of speakers and a good pair of headphones. Well, I think, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't think I have records uh, that are good on a specific platform exclusively. Mm. I mean, there are some records that shine more on headphones because maybe they're very quiet. And if you're driving in traffic in New York, maybe you don't want to have a very quiet piano album unless unless you have a very good, very well insulated vehicle. You know what I mean? But in mm. general, I think a great record sounds great wherever you put it. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, there are records that are more prone to specific mood that you might have in the car when you're driving or when you're with your headphones at home relaxing. Yes. You know, like ambient music is definitely to me a headphone g- genre in general, in general, mm. you know, I think about headphone commute is one of the biggest blogs about that, you know, and that's the name yeah, yeah. reflects that as well. You know, I think, and it's, it's true, but I don't think it's due to the quality of the recording more, m- more so the genre, maybe if we had to make rules, you know, if, if it's necessary to sort of uh, put these, you know, these genres or these things in sectors. Yeah, yeah, sure. I just, I, I just, you hear sometimes of records being made um, so that they do sound good on, I don't know, a Bluetooth speaker, MacBook speakers in a car. And I just, I do wonder whether that's a myth or not, really. So well, I, I can tell you that I definitely don't make them to sound good on laptop speakers. Like uh, <laughs> half of the frequencies that I implement in my records are not audible through those. Right. Which is fine. I mean, I'm not saying you're not going to be able to enjoy it, but it's definitely more of a headphone kind of record, you know, especially Volume Massimo, the last record that I did last year on mute. That one is one of those records. You Half of it, bass-wise, you don't hear unless you're hearing it in headphones. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Which is great. You know, it's, it's great because it's like an extra treat of, you know, it's kind of like finally listening to a record with good gear, which I'm sure happened to you after years of listening on, to, to a version on cassette and you go, Oh, I didn't even know that part was there. You know what I mean? Or that's one know, of the great joys of being, yeah. Being, being into audio is yeah. discovering new things in records that you thought you knew inside out already. I mean, that's for me, it's just that mo- those little tiny moments are wonderful. Yeah, it still happens to this day. And I'm like, uh, it, it really, it, it's one of the few things that keeps me connected um, to, to, you know, to the emotions that I had when I was listening to certain records that I, as a kid, you know, it's the same mm. exact thing, you know, that sort of, because, you know, obviously, and, and I think we, we, we talked about this before. I mean, I, I love music. I love searching for the perfect way to connect emotionally to, you know, to, to a recording, whether I'm mm. making it or I'm listening to it. But I remember the time I fell in love with music, it was, you know, copied cassettes that I had from a friend of mine and, you know, uh, substandard, you know, earphones that came with the Walkman that, you know, I used to push very hard against my ears just to get more bass out of them, you know? So I, I, the emotional, um, reception, I guess, was much, uh, more fertile back then, <laughs> Uh, than it is now. So now, now we, I personally think I need more trickery in order to, to enjoy the music. I think, I don't know, you know, sometimes I think about it because like I'm looking at gear and I go, well, do I need this preamp to record or do I need that synthesizer and, and, the, or do I need that new DAP or do I need those new in-ears? And the, the trick is that at the end of the day, if it makes me happier and it makes me enjoy the music more then yes. You know what I mean? That's, that's my answer. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess it's, I mean, as we get older, we become more discerning in our tastes and we appreciate the finer things. I think across the board, like with coffee, um, whiskey, 
food, all sorts of things, and with music as well, and then with playback gear. And maybe we were we were more easily pleased when we were younger because you and I are about the same age, aren't we? I mean, you're, you're maybe a couple of years younger than me. I'm uh, 76. You're 76, I'm 72. So, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, obviously being younger and having far inferior gear than I have now, but do I enjoy music more now than then? No, not really. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's actually harder to kind of get that emotional rush now than when I was, say, 25. And maybe that's just, a, that's purely an age thing. I mean, well, let me ask you one thing, John. Well, when you yeah. listen to a record now, let's say a record that you were listening to when you were fell in love with music, mm-hmm. do you give it the same attention as you used to when you were a kid? In other words, you know, going through the artwork, all through, uh, going through the artwork three or four times while listening to it, or do you go on your phone? Do you do other things? You know what I mean? Because I think a part mm. of it is also the fact that society now has given it, given us so many other things to keep entertained, which in our minds are not getting in the way of us listening or doing other things. But in reality, they mm. do, uh, they do diminish the amount of attention that we pay to something. You know what I mean? I, I guess I would say that I pay actually more attention to the music now, but here's the thing, right? Because I think that I appreciate the sound of music more than I used to. Before it was just the music, right? And now there's a, there's an extra layer of interest for me, which is both personal and professional. Um, and it's the sound of you know of records. So you know, 20 years ago, I'd never even heard of the Loudness Wars. Wouldn't even probably wouldn't even even have cared if somebody mentioned it to me. But now it's it's something that I do sort of I do hear it. Um, it does annoy me sometimes, but really it's, it's not within my realm. So I kind of have to put my hands up and go, yeah, I can't do anything about it. And that's that. But I guess my, yeah, the way I listen probably now is a little bit different because maybe I split my attention between music and sound. I don't know. It's a, probably a subconscious thing. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, one of the reasons why I went back, um, I think I mentioned it to dedicated uh, um, music players as opposed to using my phone to listen to music was that mm. fact that I found I found that I was, you know, I got a, you know, uh, a DAC for my iPhone so I could listen to, you know, a lossless or high res files on my iPhone through Cobus and Tidal. Mm. And I liked the quality. It was great, you know, uh, but um, but I realized that I was on my phone. And, um, I wasn't really ah. just listening and also I was, you know, consuming the battery in my phone quite a bit. So in the end, I preferred having a dedicated device just for music, you know, like a, a playback device that I could just dedicate to load with all my converted, you know, records or CDs or some of my MP3 library, even though I, you know, I, I'm slowly trying to convert that to at least lossless. Yeah, and uh, I I feel like I pay I enjoy the music more now that it's on a dedicated thing. Even because my phone, I mean, I don't even want to check these days that I'm home all the time on it all the time. But you know, I do so many other things with it that uh, I feel like, in a way, like when I switched from making music on a computer to hardware, which is most people's opposite way of doing it. You know, because Oldergaard went from synthesizers and hardware to computers. Mm. Uh, to me, it was revelatory in the sense that then I, I, I found a new, new interest in it, a new love, 
when I switched back to dedicated playback devices, um, because then I was just paying attention to the music. And they, you know, I think they're designed to do that. So they're not based, or at least they're not blatantly based on an operating system that is, you know, dedicated to a phone. You know, a lot of these machines are Android based, even Asil and Kern, but it's very, it's it's shelled. So it doesn't look like it's, you know, you don't have to deal with any of the, of the stuff of the icons and all that stuff that is so, you know, so phone based, you know what I mean? Hmm. So can we, can you tell us what DAC you had for your phone and then what DAPs you have um, tried and, and now use? Yeah, uh, for DAC for the phone, I've had a few. The first one, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it was a lightning one. It was actually connected to the phone directly. It was from a Kickstarter campaign. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but then I went to the Dragonfly Cobalt. Um, uh-huh. Uh, simply out of reviews, and I, I went to try it. I A beat it with a uh, with the cord uh, mm, mojo. Yeah, and um, I didn't even when I saw the mojo and the battery, I said, "No way, I'm not. I can't do that." Yeah, right. I mean, it sounded great, but I also was, you know, I, I'm going to be in the metro walking. Around. I mean, I can't, I can't have another thing with a battery, and you know, I just and flying and that. that I just wanted something that either was all compact in the phone or a dedicated player, you know. But the Cobalt worked great. Uh, the only thing that I had to replace, I've used it so much that I've had to replace the the USB, sorry, the Lightning to USB adapter twice because of the bending, you know, which I didn't think it would happen. But <laughs> yeah, I think this is where Android users get a little bit easier because the the adapters for Android are much more robust. But it sounded great. I really liked the way it sounded. And, you know, it made me appreciate music much more, you know, um, than, than the, the setup that I had before. And then you moved to, a, um, was it one DAP or two DAPs you've had? I can't remember now. Well, uh, currently I have two. Uh, I'm still deciding. I mean, I don't think there's going to be an end game for me. But uh, <laughs> I started with uh, the SP-1000. Uh, um, well, um, I'd like to say that I like to to do a lot of research. And then I usually buy used simply because I kind of hate the idea of buying new stuff, not because mm-hmm. of the price, but the idea of there's something that, you know, someone else wants to sell mm-hmm. that I, that I, you know, so I don't have to contribute and have another new thing. You know what I mean? And yeah, I do yeah, that yeah, with instruments. Sure. I do it with everything. I check if I can find a use before buying new. And also because I wanted something that had been on the market for quite a bit, um, that I could, you know, um, that I didn't have to troubleshoot if you want, even though if these days with, with firmware, you never know. So the SP 1000 was the first thing I got when a one terabyte card and I loaded everything on it. Right. And, uh, it's, it's a great sounding device. Uh, I, uh, I haven't, I've never had any issues aside from the battery. And then, uh, was able to pick up a used, uh, Sony WM Z, oh, no, sorry, WM one a, uh, huh. And that one is an incredible battery and sounds just as good. A little different, I would say. I mean, it's, it's definitely a little bit younger sounding than the than the than the Asselin Current. Asselin Current is probably a little bit flatter and, and a little bit more neutral. Um, mm. The it's the the Sony is definitely a little bit more energetic, but it also depends so much on what, what in ears or what headphones you use with them. You know, right? And which one do you prefer? Do you have a preference, preference or no? Yeah, right now the Campfire Solaris, uh, Campfire Audio Solaris are the ones that I use the most. I have Andromeda's and Solaris and Solaris SC, but 
I have the Solaris attached to the SP1000 and then the Solaris SC to the um, uh, uh, the Sony, uh, all balanced connections and all of them. Oh wow! Okay, yes, yeah. Because so yeah, well, you were saying that you've 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 had quite a yeah quite a number of campfire IEMs. I mean, did you just land on that brand and go, "This is my brand," or was there a journey to get there? Um, I've always used. Not always, but I've always, uh, since, since I started live playing music, I've always used uh, in-ears, you know, for, for, for shows, you know, in-ear monitors. Mm. And um, when uh, when I was on tour, I occasionally used them also to listen to music, but it was always, I mean, without naming brands or whatnot, there, I think there's always been a difference or a separation between uh, in-ear monitors used by musicians and headphones or audio let's call it audiophile play you know playback devices if you want, or or you know speakers or headphones and sure. i don't know why but um it always felt like uh they were great for live but i wouldn't have mixed an album on them you know um so i remember doing a little research um online and i read uh, uh there were a few people that i knew that were in my field that had used the andromedas mm. and they said they were the closest they could get to something that they could actually use to work on. Huh. So I bought a pair of Andromedas a year ago or something used, and uh, they were indeed, you know, very, very neutral, but enjoyable. I mean, because neutral, unfortunately, has the bad reputation of meaning flat, but essentially what it means is if I recorded this this way, and it's a, you know, burgundy red, then if I look at it in the monitor, I want it to look burgundy red, not orange. Even sure, if, you know, yeah. yeah. yeah, That's what it means, you know. So if, if I recorded something that it's already bassy or I love bass or in high-end and it's already bassy and high-end-ish, neutral headphones are not going to make it sound flat. They're going to make it sound just as bassy and high-end-ish as I made it sound. Right. And since I had to work with them, I wanted something like that. And then uh, I read about the Solaris and I got a little scared because a lot of the reviews talked about a, a little bit more of a V sound or like a little bit uh, of a cut on the low mids. And mm -hmm. so I bought another used pair and I tried them and uh, I loved them. I, mean, I fell in love with them. <laughs> I, I agree that there was a little bit of a, a dip and they're not as neutral, but that dip is right where I usually have problems with frequencies. Like, you know, the, mm. that sort of belly is what... Um, prevents me a lot of the times from like having a loud volume in headphones when I listen to right. music. To me, at least. I, people would call it warmth. I don't know if they call it warmth or whatever to call it, but like anything in between, let's say 90 and 180 is what, where I think uh, um, the, the Solaris are a little bit more forgiven, you know? And the right, SEs right. have, a, I, I believe, a different driver when it comes yeah. to the mids. So um, it definitely uh, have more low mids than than the normal solaris but uh it's not that big of a difference but yeah i mean i, I really enjoyed the fact that uh, that mm. i could you know listen to music and feel like it would add a layer of enjoyment that, that i didn't have before and work on stuff and i did you know a few remixes using the the um the andromedas and some editing work and never felt like i had to second guess what i was doing so when it came time but when I saw that they announced the, the Solstice, which was supposed to be a custom in-ear, you know, custom molded version yeah. of the Andromeda, I opened my laptop and I sent uh, JD at uh, <laughs> at Campfire Audio, <laughs> uh, Campfire Audio, an email and saying, "Hey, um, I'd like to work with you guys." <laughs> yeah, well, so like, tell me, so you 
quite happy to make a record on a pair of Andromeda from Campfire, right? And you also use barefoot loudspeakers. Are there any mm-hmm. sort of similarities between their presentation or do you think they're different in many ways? It's a bit of a tricky question, isn't it? Yeah, it's very tricky because I, I think it's hard because the barefoot will sound, you know, there's so much in function of how close and how far you are from them mm. that it's it's very hard to tell, you know. Um, but what I can tell you is that there's a common thing, uh, that it's the fact that I don't think any frequency gets um, overblown or there there isn't a specific frequency strength in any of the you know of the two environments of either it's the andromedas or the the barefoot i think they are very balanced in the sense that i feel like if i play something in my andromedas and then play my barefoot it's not too dissimilar i'm not going to go holy crap listen to the bass how did i do that Mm. or why is so why is the high end so harsh i mean the high end is always tricky because especially in in years, but also with the barefoot or whatever speaker, if you work for a long time, the high end is probably the thing that you you tend to push over time a little bit more mm-hmm. if you're mixing simply because, you know, your tolerance gets, you know, higher as you work on the stuff. So, oh, you know, you, okay. you might print something that you feel like it's great today. And then after working 24 hours on it and the day after you play back and you realize, oh, wow, the high end is too, you know, too harsh, and then you have to back it down. I mean, at least that's how it works for me. Right. So do you think there's any difference between um, studio neutral and audiophile neutral? Um, To me, they are the same. In other words, I want to hear a record how it was made. Uh, If I want to hear a record how it was intended by the people that released the record, or, you know, or by the the, the the mastering engineer most likely yeah uh then i'd rather have a neutral platform you know and that doesn't mean right. that i don't enjoy things that are not neutral because i mean i don't think the solaris are neutral but they are their aesthetic their sonic aesthetic is very you know uh very close to mine right, hey, hold on right. a second I, I need to let I, I need to let the cat out of the studio hold sure. on sure no problem no problem <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that no, it's no problem. I'm just thinking that, you know, like you hear audiophiles talking a lot about their thirst for neutral. So why aren't they going and buying Dynaudio speakers, Genelex, Barefoot speakers, you know, all the stuff you see in studios? Why aren't they just doing that? I just, I don't understand it. Because when they, generally when they're put in front of a pair of Genelex, they go, oh no, that's just too flat. It's too boring. So they, I always think they're, they're, kidding, they're kidding themselves that they actually want neutral. What do you think about that? Well, I think neutral is a starting point to begin with in a sense that uh, um, I don't think a lot of the, the, the stuff out there is neutral from a listening point of view because I think mm. it's hard to create a neutral. I think it's much harder to create a neutral playback system than it is to create a colored one. I mean, obviously, mm. if you're saying a specifically colored one, then it might as well be just as difficult, obviously. Right. But, uh, you know, um, it's much easier to to make a mistake than, you know, to do it right. And I think that in order to get every frequency perfect, it requires much more effort. So when you when you when you prepare a neutral recording or a recording that is supposed to sound great everywhere, you sort of think already that you can't go overboard with the bass even though you'd want to, because a lot of the systems you're gonna be playing back on, whether it's in-ears or whether it's headphones, will have an emphasis on the bass frequencies because a lot of music listeners nowadays like that, like low frequencies, mm. like the rumble, you know? Right. So if you already do a record that has over rumbled, then, you know, and that's your neutral, they're probably going to blow speakers when you sell it. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> yes, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean the neutral is has to be flat or you know insipid or you know flavorless. That I don't think that's the case. But but I think a neutral neutral playback is it's more in function of of uh, of how the record was made as opposed to how much the piece of gear or the user has a say on how the record sounds. I mean, to me, the ideal is a neutral playback system and a great EQ. I mean, that's to me, because if you can't get it sounding the way that you want with a good EQ, then, then no piece of gear is going to make it sound good, as good as you want. Do you know what I mean? Right. Actually, yeah. Talking of EQ, you mentioned that you use sonar works in your studio. Did, did that really, does that, does, is that a good thing? Does that really work for you or was it? I mean, I mean, the sonar works uh, system was recommended to me by Richard Devine and, uh, he put me in touch with the company and then mm-hmm. I've worked uh, with the microphone took, re- you know, um, impulse responses of my room and, uh, the mm-hmm. change in mixing position was night and day. And, you know, I can, I can switch it off and on and realize what it was before and after. And, uh, the difference is that, you know, the room, I mean, I don't, certain frequencies used to be louder just because of how the room is designed and the room is not treated. Now the room is still not treated, but in my listening mm-hmm. position at mixing volume, I have a close to perfect, you know, frequency response and, and, uh, how it does it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, is it as pure as having a, a room that has been treated? Probably not, but at the end of the day, it makes me do my job quicker and there's much less second guessing, you know, mixing choices after I treated the room that way or treated my right, system right. with Sonarworks. Alessandro, tell me, do you, do you print your files? Do you render your projects? in high-res audio in your studio? Um, I've worked uh, for the most part at 44, 16 for most of my life mm. until I started uh, getting um, into converters that um, that made a difference quality-wise. I mean, personally, once I switched to um, the Lynx technology, the Aurora N, the new uh, interface that I released a few years ago, that's mm. when it was obvious to me the quality and in, in, the change in quality and going uh, in high, when using higher resolution. So now I try to record everything at 96 or at least 48, you know, but definitely if, when I can, I, I record 96, but hardly ever record in the computer anymore. Uh, since the Lynx Aurora has a built-in multi-track recorder on micro SD, I just don't even turn on the computer. I just work with my machines huh. in the studio with a monitor off, uh, just like I'd be in a normal studio, press record. It records 24 tracks of audio at 96. As long as the as I have space and a micro SD card, and uh, and then I import those. It's a you know uh, a, a wave pack, so it's just it will unpack those twenty four in a session. Yeah, and so what do you give to your mastering engineer in the end? I mean, what's the what's I do? I give a stereo a stereo file, um, um, either for forty four twenty four or forty eight twenty four or ninety six twenty four or twenty four ninety six, right. however you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so so as a because you and I are both Cobas users, right? And I use Tidal mm-hmm. as well. So a lot of modern music, I'm not talking about the sort of traditional audio farm music, but a, mu- a lot of modern music comes out just as twenty. I say just as, but just as twenty four forty four or twenty four forty eight. Now that to me is surprising. 
I don't, well, I don't know why that is. I guess it's because the audio file conversation very much is centered upon 2496 and 24192. But it seems to me that studios don't want to go that far. Would you say that's a fair, fair thing to say, or is that not the case? Yeah, uh, um, I mean, I don't know, uh, but I think it's more of a a label thing. I, it, if you say a studio by label, uh, you mean label, mm. then yeah, I, I agree. I don't think the, a lot of labels see the yet see the see the market in in uh, high res files. Um, I think that'll change with broadband, with you know, with uh, broadband everywhere, and hopefully broadband when it comes to cell service as well. Mm. Um, to me. I don't always hear the difference, obviously, quality-wise. Quality it's it's very independent of the playback system. And most of the time, mm. I mean, lossless is enough, you know, as far as enjoying and making, enjoying music as a listener. From a making music point of view, I think from an archival aspect, uh, the higher resolution I can afford that doesn't compromise processing power, the better. Because I know that for previous experience, uh, uh, I would go back to sessions they weren't recorded as well and when i could have recorded mm. as better and um it's always best to record it at the best quality that you can for you know for uh, archival purposes or for future proofing your stuff right right so do you do you stream high-res kobos out in the street not at the moment because you're not allowed out in the street but generally <laughs> uh yeah i actually i actually made the financial investment to to, to buy an unlimited telecom germany data plan because you know i basically burnt through the 12 gigabytes or whatever it was in like a week <laughs> right right see yeah because I, I pay 25 euros a month um and i get i think it's about 15 gigabytes now in in terms of audio streaming that's about 40 cd quality albums which is not not a huge amount i mean obviously i tend to offline a lot but I know that we were talking about this last time about, you know, the viability of streaming high res um, for the majority of people, for mainstreamers out in the street. And I was saying that the bottleneck is the data caps that um, telecom providers apply to our accounts. Would, would you agree right. with that? Or? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, that, that's always been. And I think you're right in thinking that that probably won't change. You know, it's they're not all of a sudden because speeds are, you know, unbelievable. They're not going to pass those on to us for no price. I mean, we're going to have to pay for that for sure. Yeah, right. So when 5G finally kicks the door down for most people, I think we're going to go back to data caps of like 8 gig. 16 gig. I know it's different in the USA because I know that, um, un am I right in thinking that unlimited broadband is more prevalent in the USA? Yeah. I mean, phones, let's say, phones? yeah, you call it internet there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Here, here it was a disaster. Moving back to Europe was a disaster. Really? You found, but, you found it quite, quite a shock. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know if I remember Australia also having issues when I traveled there years ago so i don't know if yes. it's changed and it's better now but uh europe i mean germany and i think most of it is due to the old buildings and so like for example my building uh doesn't allow a dsl speed higher than five mbps so i have a hybrid modem that basically mm. sucks up lte and i mean uses the the dsl exclusively to check for um you know for for, for a subscription essentially and right. then i'm using lte to at least reach 15 mbps occasionally but you know i remember when once we 
got that, you know, going in this apartment. And I remember I hadn't asked this question to my wife in, I don't even remember how long. And it was, are you downloading something? <laughs> Just something that, you know, when was the last right. time you asked somebody that, you know, like, yeah, are yeah. You, hey, are you downloading something? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes, I I do see a lot of grumbling on the internet about internet speeds here in Germany. I'm very lucky because I have I have cable. I'm in and in, in the middle of the city, and we have Vodafone cable. Even though it can go up and down quite a lot, theoretically, I have a gigabit connection. Theoretically, it's never that. That's great. Still, no, I I even use. I mean, I got unlimited on my phone and used it to play with my PC online gaming or to stream from the Apple TV occasionally because the internet was so bad in the house. Right. Like using it as a, you know, as a, as a Wi-Fi net node, essentially. Right. So, I mean, obviously data is very important to high-res streaming because you're going to, you're going to burn through a lot. Yeah. And I do, I do wonder, like when you, I mean, cause you obviously have lots of musician friends. Uh, I mean, you don't have to name names or specific cases, but ge like generally, are they into Cobras and high-res streaming or are they still Spotify, Apple Music, that kind of thing? Uh, no, I, uh, as far as colleagues go, I don't, I don't have many that are into high res audio, um, uh, as much as I've gotten in the last, you know, few months, I have to say, but, um, mm. I also have had a lot of time just to play around with things and sort of figure out if there was any truth in high res audio and if it really, um, uh, you know, if a higher quality of audio equaled a higher emotional involvement, you know, and, and, uh, whether I told myself or whether it's true, I mean, I found it a very positive experience. So I, I will continue on that path and without exaggerating, obviously, but um, mm. I feel it's the future. I mean, I think we've been, we've been conned in the last 15 years, 20 years into believing mm. that MP3s are enough. They're not enough. They're not enough. They don't sound good. Mm. And I think just because we got used to that, just because, you know, you got to have, you can have McDonald's and it's basically, you know, a dollar doesn't mean you gotta eat that every every day you know what i mean yeah because if you ate mcdonald's every day you'd be quite sick after about a month right yeah well I'm, all i'm saying is that you know now that it's easier to you know have access to better food for a good price why not you know i mean mm. even if you don't hear it right away I, I i think people will feel the better quality because sometimes it's not as obvious as it is you know because when people think better quality they think oh i can see it in my monitor i can see the hd i can see the zooming in and no pixels sort of situation mm. i think with audio is a little is a little less about scrutinizing and more about passively listening than it is you know and 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 the series of of uh sometimes you know uh emotional and personal relationships that you develop with these things and that's why it's so mm. subjective and why music listening just like gear and music making is so subjective and there's no right or wrong. There's no right gear. There's no wrong gear. There's no right pair of headphones. There's no wrong pair of headphones, but just like in an audiophile world, in the music world, there's, you know, fads, there is that synthesizer that mm. everybody wants. And then two years later is the one that, you know, you find the most in the used market. It, it just happens with headphones. Like it happens with synthesizers. It happens with everything. You know what I mean? Why? Because it's a passion. It's, it's a hobby. It's somebody's job, somebody's work, somebody's hobby, but it's based on passion and emotion. So it's bound to be that volatile and, uh, you know, and strong. Do people argue about synthesizers on forums? Yeah, definitely. Plenty. 
Really? What's, what kind of yeah. topics do they argue about? Well, <laughs> I mean, curious. the same as pro audio. I mean, people comparing things that are based on the same architecture, like they might be based on the same DSP or the same sort mm. of features on paper, like, you know, like a, a, a digital audio player might be based on the same uh, DAX, you know what I mean? They might have yeah, the same, yeah. you know, uh, the, the 4497s and they go, oh, they have the same, they must sound the same. Or this one is better, that one. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's the same as cars or guitars or anything else, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a preference that sometimes you can't even explain. It almost, right. you know, you, you have it because there is there has to be a romantic relationship with anything you are involved with creatively, whether it's active creatively, as in making music, or passive creatively, as in feeling emotionally involved with the music that you listen to. So um, I've never been, uh, you know, one of those musicians that, uh, that has the idea in his mind and, 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 uh, give me the tools to, you know, I just need the right tools to get it out. I don't have any ideas. I just, I need a piece of gear that is like a toy that makes me feel creative. And, and that's how the stuff is born. And part of it happens also with the gear that I listen to music on, you know, like mm. the digital audio players or the headphones. That's why I think, you know, campfire audio has very, not only great sounding, with incredible, you know, uh, um, um, width and and quality and 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 EQ uh, representation, but the way they look, the way they're created, you can see that there's there's an attention to detail, you know, that uh, that it's not just a tool, you know. I think they're works of art, and I think I think that's just as important as the utilitarian aspect, and that's just my way of thinking. You know, a lot of people just prefer you know preferred utilitarian i respect that and uh yeah. and to a certain extent i envy it because it tends to be for <laughs> a, a lot of time a cheaper way to do things and probably a quicker yeah. way to get to get things done both both professionally as and uh you know leisurely but mm. that's not the way i am so the be- the next best thing to do is to learn how i am and how to utilize what i've learned about myself in the most productive way you know do you do you you know your musician friends look at you like some kind of strange person because you've got all this crazy expensive listening gear or do they, are they okay? They think it's normal. What's their take on that? Well, um, you know, I go to phases. I mean, they've, they started looking at me crazy when, when they saw my synthesizers already. So I don't think anything really, (laughs) Okay. you know, uh, cause I I have an affinity with weird odd machines of which there are not many and they're, you know, that they don't work much or they work on certain days and, Mm. And, uh, um, I'm not, you know, like I, I still both as a musician and as a, you know, music listener, I'm, I'm way, way behind a lot of other people. You know I mean? I, I do enjoy portable listening. So I have quite a few in years that I've collected throughout the years of me being a musician. And, and, uh, right now I settle on the, on the campfire audio stuff simply because I feel like that's where I get the most emotional, you know, um, return while also being able to do my job because I, I'm able to get that sort of quality even when I play shows, which it didn't happen before. But right. at the same, but at the same time, you know, my, my, my stereo is, you know, it's, uh, my speakers are, Eli- I mean, like I have a very basic setup where I listen to records, you know, aside from mm. the, the classic 1200, obviously. Mm. So you have, did you say you have Elac speakers? Yeah. Elac speakers. I bought everything. I went to space hall because space hall is one of my favorite places. And, you know, yeah, they have all the, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, they basically helped me to put to, to piece together a system with a you know a CD player, a cassette player, and 
and speakers. And, and the only big, big, big piece was obviously the Technics 1200 because it's a classic and I wanted something that would last me forever and something right. I was familiar with. And so I just got that. Right. Okay. So you're, you're quite the gearhead then, aren't you, really, if you're into synthesizers and into audio playback um, stereo gear, right? Well, I still, uh, well, you know, stereo, stereo gear is in portable. Yeah, I have a, well, I have a few daps and good headphones. Yeah, that's for sure. Good, good in-ears. But uh, yeah. from a, from a hi-fi point of view, I don't have many things. And, and I don't think I'll ever have a good playback system aside from the studio until I have my own place where I'll have a listening room, if I'll ever have something like that. But I really right. enjoy having a personal experience with the uh, listening music and do it in my headphones, you know, on the couch and, and as loud as I want it to be or as quiet. And, and one thing that I've been doing quite a bit is also falling asleep with very low volume, you know, uh, in ears and, and just listening usually to, to, you know, to, to, uh, either William Basinski or Abu Mogard. So very relaxing, uh, repetitive loops or ambient music. Okay. So, but you also make your own music to fall asleep too. Is that right? Yeah, I made a few records, two records actually, Sonia Risveglio, which were born not as records, but simply as a collection of lullabies, synthesizer-based mm. lullabies that I recorded while I was on tour, uh, connecting a ba- you know a, a battery-powered synthesizer to a little Bose speaker, and then with a Zoom H4N recorder, I would walk around the room and um, it w- just recording the 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 sequence wherever it sounded better in the room, and then I would. Pop, in them, pop them into my iPhone and then listen to them before going to sleep. Right, okay. And that became a record, you know, two records actually. Huh. So do you think you'll ever, I mean, do you have to wear custom in a monitors on stage or could you use your campfires when you're playing a gig? Well, I'm, I'm using campfires when I play gigs because the solstice are, are uh, are uh, customs. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah they're very similar right. to Andromeda's. They definitely have a bump in that low end, low mids that we were talking about. But live, since in the last incarnation of Nine Inch Nails, I'm playing bass. Uh, mm. And since, you know, I would say 70% of the show is bass, 10% is guitar, and the rest is synths for the last incarnation. So yeah. that happens to be the frequency where the bass is, which it's actually of advantage because it allows me to get a little bit more of emphasis where my instrument is. Um, but ah, okay. uh, not leaving home that sort of spatial, you know, uh, uh, accuracy that, that, that campfire audio um, speakers or, you know, in-ears and headphones have. And so you've not been able to convince the rest of the band to try out campfire or have you not tried or? Well, I mean, they've, they've been with another company for a long time. I don't think they, mm. they've, uh, they've, uh, Romantic, they don't romanticize gear as much as I do, I think. But I think if they get a chance to try them, they'll probably realize how different they, they are, you know, from the rest. Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, it does come down to personal experience, isn't it? You have to try things to really know for sure. Yeah, and- to me, the difference was clear night and day how, you know, because it's always been working with in-ears and, and listening to in-ears for, you know, for pleasure. And the mm. two worlds were always fairly removed um uh in the sense that not necessarily that the in-ears sounded bad with music listening but they were Mm. never designed i mean they never sound like they were designed for it when i listen to you know a record i mean um and that until you know i I tried the solstice and i realized that oh no with these 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 are exciting enough um 
they're as, as exciting as they are when I listen to a record, but also precise enough that I could feel I could work with them. Okay. So, I mean, so what, I mean, guess what you're talking about here and really, I guess why we're having this conversation is because there, there seems to be some crossover between being an electronic musician and I'm going to use the A word here, <laughs> being an audiophile, because I think, I think from what you're saying, you're both. I mean, do you identify as an audiophile or no? Uh, that's, that's hard to say. I don't think I'm more of a music lover and, uh, I don't know at what point the music lover becomes an audiophile. Um, am I searching for the best way to listen to, to music these days? Yeah. I mean, the, the way that makes me feel the best about the records that I'm attached to. Sure. Mm. Am I willing to go to crazy lengths? I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll see. But like, for example, there are certain aspects that are still mystery to me. Like for example, cable materials, for example, I've tried, you know, like now that are all in isolation, I even tried to change cables in my walk, my Sony Walkman, like changing uh -huh. from copper to, to silver and gold, you know, and to see if it would make any difference. And does it some days I think it does. And some days I think it doesn't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much of it is placebo, how much is emotional and how mm. much I should care if it, it is placebo or emotional or if it, there is a change. I mean, I'm assuming there has to be a change because it's different materials, but also length mm. would, it, would, you know, there are so many things that, that could drive you crazy if you start thinking about it. And I think a lot of it is the, rom the romanticism in it too. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, and I see it. I mean, people sometimes make fun of the whole audiophile scene just because they, they, they see it as a, and it can be a way just to blow money into something that it's an endless search for something that it really is inside you at the end of the day. It's not in the yes. music that you buy, <laughs> yes, you yes. know, yes. and the yes. same applies to musical instruments, you know, like the new, newer version of something comes out and people want the new, new thing or, you know, uh, because mm. you're thinking that the new thing will allow you to be better or to listen better, to make music better. And so that applies to everything. I think it's, you know, audiophile is an easier target because, you know, just because it's, 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 it's enjoy, it's enjoyment. It's not something that theoretically people, the, you know, the market makes money off of in the sense that listeners spend the money. They don't make money from listening to music. Mm. Uh, arguably, my profession, I spend money in gear. And even if I spend a ton of money on a synthesizer, I could justify it to myself saying, well, you know, at least it's my job. <laughs> yeah, right. In a way, but my job is music, whatever it is. If it, you know, if one day I need to have great listening playback of music at a great quality to feel good, then that's my job as well. You know what I mean? Hmm. So do you have any gear that you've got your eye on at the moment? So like, do you have any sort of like, um, purchases that you're thinking about to go to another well, level or um, to a different different flavor or uh well i need i would like to to get you know because as i said i've been with my grotto rs1s forever and i love them um and i, I still use them quite a bit um mm -hmm. when i'm not using speakers which is usually early in the morning um i like to listen in headphones more than speakers and, and i'm an early mm -hmm. riser so I, I tend to get in the studio very early and and i don't work at night so um I do a lot of stuff with headphones, right. uh, but I, I saw the headphones, which uh, are bare, the bare, base here in Berlin. So I was in touch with the Fred, I think his name is, and I was supposed to go hang out. Oh, Freddie. Then, yeah, yeah. 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 All this happened when, uh, um, you know, w when, when the isolation started happening and COVID-19 started happening in 
around the world. So we, we sort yeah. of, uh, you know, p- passively, you know, lost touch for the time being. And, but I would love to try those for two reasons. One's cause they're local and I really, really like talking to the people that make, uh, the stuff. Cause you know, I, yes. I like to, to tell them where I come from, what I do and, and, uh, what I, what I'm looking for in a piece, you know, in a piece of gear or whatever it is. And second, cause you know, they're not, uh, they're a company that uh, they don't feel like they're very big. And I kind of like that when you can retain a specific face to face, you know, um, connection with them and, and be able to talk to them, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the headphone is extremely, extremely revealing and insightful and not, and not in a cold clinical way. It's ex- the treble is very, very smooth. Um, I guess my only quibble, and I've stated this before, is, is I guess the, the size and the weight. And that right. depends upon, you know, your tolerance for larger and heavier headphones as to how much you, you know that I, I, yeah, I would have to try, but probably the problem you have too, cause you wear glasses. My main issue is usually with, uh, with the frame, like wearing glasses and the, the, you know, the headband pushing uh, yeah. my frames towards my head. So like uh, right. usually the, the frames hurt in the side of my head, basically, you know, my temples. Mm. So that's a problem that I usually have, you know, with, with headphones. I don't have it with the, uh, with the grados but the grados kind of feel like old school radio you know headphones in right a way. right they're not, they're not comfortable but they're not even not comfortable i wonder if that if my glasses are one reason why i tend to prefer extremely comfortable headphones like the meze empyrean and the audio quest night hawk night owl could be it's something that not a lot of people think about i think you know when they design headphones because uh you're thinking that maybe you just can take your glasses off to enjoy music, which is true. But if I'm working at a computer, you know, um, mm. I'm, I'm not going to be put, I'm putting contact lenses only for very special occasions. Right. <laughs> Definitely not, yeah. not working at a computer. <laughs> yeah. I don't do contacts, but I do, I do take my glasses off sometimes when I'm listening, but not all the time. And I don't want to have to think about that when I'm putting on a pair of headphones. I just want to reach for the headphones and put them on. Right. Um, exactly. Which is, I think, one of the th- one of the reasons why I'm drawn to Sennheiser's 650, 660, and the HD 800 as well is again because of very, very, very high comfort factor. I mean, the HD 800 don't even feel like they're there a lot of the time, even though I'm not so much in love with the sound anymore. But they're just unbelievably comfortable and very little side pressure. Um, yeah, those I never, I, I haven't. Uh, you know, I, I'd say IMs is probably. Uh, the, the only field where I sort of done a little bit of exploration and I have, you know, I think I was lucky because even though people talk about other brands, you know, 64 audio or, or others, which I'm sure they're great. I, mm. I kind of found what I like in, in the, in the campfire audio camp. <laughs> and, right. uh, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm glad that I'm able to go. I don't, I don't need to try other things. Like I feel like emotionally, I'm, I'm not saying I won't try other things that I won't own other things, but Hmm. I, I wouldn't right now, you know, buy another pair of in-ears um, uh, unless it was an offer from Campfire to go, hey, you like these, try these, because then hmm. there's an uh, unspoken sort of like knowledge of each other. You know what I mean? But when right. it comes to headphones, I really don't know many, many headphones because all I've been using are the RS1. So that's the only reference I have. And since I spent so much time with in-ears and those grottos, uh, I feel like it's time to add something to the family to sort of switch it up, not only for studio listening, but also for leisure, you know, and with that probably adapt that also can run headphones that, that, that might be, that, that are full size, you know, cause 
the dApps that I have are definitely more, um, uh, they, they shine more with, with in-ears, definitely. Right. So you're talking about having a, a DAP that also has a fair amount of, well, a little bit more power. Is that what you're talking about there? Or Yeah. Well, the the, the, the Esalen Current SP1000 has a separate amp that you can purchase to run with it. But um, oh, course, at that yeah. point, you know, I probably look for another use, another kind, just to see if, you know, because I'm, I'm still in the sort of like excited exploring time where yeah, I'm yeah. trying to see the differences and the compromise between you know, like for example, the, the, the FIO stuff or that stuff or the, the, the Android, the clearly blatantly Android based stuff, I just can't deal with. It's just not, not for me. It's just, I don't want to be looking. I can't be looking at a phone. It just makes me feel like I'm still in a phone. Oh, okay. land. But so, you know? so, but, so you, you, when you choose a DAP, you really, I mean, can your, can your DAP do, it can do streaming now, can't it? The Aslan cones do. Yeah, streaming. but I do much less than I used to, you know, with it. I, most of the streaming I do on the computer or uh, my iPad uh, that is connected to the stereo, you know, uh, yeah. to the hi-fi system in the living room. And yeah. when I'm out, if I'm not bringing, like, uh, like for example, if I have my iPhone, if I'm around Berlin for the most part, now I bring, I, I used to bring the, the Sony, the last period, you know, cause I didn't get it too long ago, but so I didn't have that much time out with it because the Sony mm. is so light and it's winter. So mm. I can, I always have a bomber pocket that I can put another player in. Right. 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 Uh, but otherwise it would be, you know, Dragonfly and iPhone and that's where I have Cobus. I, I don't really have a, my own files uh, loaded on the phone aside downloads and Cobus. Um, but the, the DAPs, um, you know, the SP1000 was chosen because of the streaming originally. Uh, yeah. But I haven't, you know, like right now I'm looking at things that don't have streaming necessarily just to see, because I know that it's going to be more up to my collection. Uh, I do less explorative listening when I'm not home, like when I'm not home, I want to listen, either I listen to podcasts or I listen to the records that I know. Cause you know, right. the, the last thing, if I'm going out in Berlin and it's still kind of a new town, I want to feel something that keeps me, you know, linked to, to some sort of reality <laughs> that is mine. Right. So records that make me feel good, you know, especially in Berlin in the winter. <laughs> yes. It can get pretty dark here. Right. I mean, pretty gloomy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can we, can we talk about, um, streaming and how it has affected you as a musician in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe mm -hmm. even longer, like the industry changes as we've gone from say CDs to downloads to streaming. I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you, I guess it's a bit of a thorny question, this one, but you know, how do you feel about streaming and, and with it, when it comes to royalties and income and things like that? Well, I think it's a scam when it comes to royalties. I, uh, it, it's, it also happens to be the reality, though. It's just the way that, you know, that musicians are mostly getting themselves heard nowadays. I, I don't think mm. it's a fair remuneration or retribution of the artists. And, mm. and I think, as usual, there's people making tons of money, not artists for the most part, and people mm. making no money, even though they might be some of the highest listened musicians, you know what I mean? Compared to what mm. it used to be. I much preferred the system that everybody talked crap about, which was the labels, which was considered, you know, uh, an elitarian sort of system because not everybody would get signed, but there was a reason yeah. for not everybody getting signed. It's because there was a process and it wasn't a perfect procedure by all, a perfect process by all means. Mm. But at the end of the day, people would still get paid to a certain extent, you know? Um, yeah. 
at the same time, I'm not a person that would be complaining and just sit down and complain about the fact that stuff gets, I didn't even complain when my records were getting posted on torrent sites. Cause I felt like at the end of the day, that meant that more people were going to be familiar with my music and more people eventually would come to the shows, which is what happens. Also, there is to be said that my career as an artist that could support himself from music started only recently. So with, when I started making instrumental music and by that point, it was already a world where it was streaming based and MP3s and iTunes music store and Spotify. Um, and also I think that was a, a very advantageous move for the music I make for ambient music. Ambient music takes advantage of the listener being in an environment that is not just at home in a chair, that it's being around outside in the world, living mm. their lives. Ambient yeah. music, it's the perfect soundtrack for people doing their thing daily. So I think part of the way that people have digested my music is due to the fact that it's was that it was more accessible thanks to these platforms. Now, I'm not here, I'm not going to be sending Christmas boxes to Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. I, I, mm -hmm. I still think it's not the ideal way. I still think that Bandcamp is probably the most ideal way to release music as a, as a music maker nowadays mm. when it comes to trying to make some money off it. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think it has its own advantages because it brought people, you know, I, I, don't, I definitely don't make money off record sales, but I definitely have a lot of people that contact me, that, that come to shows, that listen to my music on Spotify, but then, then come and play music and come and see me play music when I play shows, you know, which at the end of the day is how I make a living. Right. So is it, is it fair to say that your records, the music that you make and that you sell through Bandcamp and, and actually appears on torrent sites as well and on streaming services, that promotes your live shows and touring and that's where you make your money? Yeah, that's where I make a living, um, uh, mm. I think. I mean, I think records, um, we still make money off records. It's just not comparable to anything that you could, you know, live a mm. normal life at, at, at this stage and personally. I'm sure there's people that can do that, and you know. But uh, I personally feel like I I'm not there yet when record sales. I'm there, thankfully, because of the shows, you know, of, of mm. the fact that. But also, there's a discussion to be made there about the shows. You know, the, it works because I play alone. You know, if it be mm. two of us, if it be a, a band, uh, probably would be much harder to make a living off it because the expenses would triple. You know. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to ask you, is that also the case for the band that you play in? I mean, obviously they're a big band, but does is it still the case that streaming and the, the albums that get released um, promote the shows and then that's how you, you know, you guys as a collective make a living? Or is, is it, does it, does it, does it not well, scale? Well, Nine Inch Nails as a band is, is, you know, I mean, we are on paper, hired guns so we're not necessarily from a from a you know a rational way of looking at it so we're not mm. part of the you know of the of the of the core that nine inch nails is i mean i've been with nine inch nails for over 10 years but uh and i've been as involved as you can be being you know a hired musician mm. in a sense that i was given a chance to re to write with them to rearrange the live stuff to to my taste in a taste that was obviously compatible and to to trends taste and whatnot but uh yeah i think nine inch is a specific beast in a sense they come from the previous generation so they already built right uh, rightly right. so uh, a fame uh, yeah. uh 
in a different gener- musical generation when it comes to mm. how music was consumed. And so uh, I don't think it's a, it's an easy way to, there's an easy way to answer that question, partly because I'm not part of that environment. And second, because I think it's a p- specific example, you know, that existed for quite a while, you know, for quite a, quite a long time. One thing that I can tell you is that I think from a emotional connection to the music point of view, I think that uh, the accessibility and the ease of, of, uh, consumption that comes from streaming and the fact that you could look up a song in a second. Mm. Um, I think it makes, in my opinion, coming from the old guard of people that used to save up money to buy one record and that record would stuck with you on your CD or car player for the whole summer. Yeah. I feel like there's less emotional attachment to a specific record than it used to be simply because there's no need for it. You know, now it's uh, quantity over quality. And I'm not saying that there's no good quality. I'm just saying there's too much of everything. So you're not pushed to listen to a record more times to really understand if you like it or not, or because it might be a record that requires a deeper listen than another. You can just skip tracks. You can just move on. You can just, if you like this, you can like this one and just follow the algorithm, you know, which is right. a diff- completely different way of listening to music than it was when I grew up because I only listened to the music that my friends were listening to or a person that I really respected suggested a specific record and I would buy that record, you know, if I could afford mm. it. But I think it was also different. It was very different because not only, I mean, because you had to invest, you invested your own me- own money on a per record basis and you also had to go to the store and buy it so that was time as well so you had more of a personal investment in the music that you consumed right from a a financial point of view from a time point of view but one thing i remember that came to mind after our last conversation actually was uh i remember buying aztec camera's second album uh, it was about 80, 85, right? Um, and I, I didn't know Aztec Camera all that well. I'd heard the album Love that, that made them bigger stars in the UK. And I went back and I bought Knife. And I got it home. And I, I remember, the, I can, I'll never forget this. I remember feeling absolutely crushed because I thought, this is not the type of music that I was expecting to buy. And thinking, oh my God, I've spent six pounds on this record and I absolutely hate it. And you know what I did? I, I played that record so much that almost, I forced myself to like it because I'd spent my money on it. And now I, I, I won't say I love it. I think I went through a phase during the, yeah, I was, I was only about six, 15, 16 at the time. I think for the next 10 years, I really, really loved it. Now it sounds a bit dated. It's produced by Mark Knopfler, if any mm-hmm. of the audiophiles out there are listening, but it, it's a very sort of acoustic pop record. Um, and I think I agree with you, but it's also the, 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 the fin- it's not just the financial, I think it's the emotional connection with things, you know, like you could listen to a record you grew up with or a song and you can be catapulted back to the summer where you had that record on tape. I mean, every time I listen to, you know, Epic or from out of nowhere, from Fate No More is the real thing. I remember, you know, the day that I went with my bike after graduating mm. from middle school to buy the cassette. I mean, I remember that. I remember that summer. I remember, you know, uh, it's, you know, there are certain records that uh, that have left a mark. I remember Doot Doot by Furrer. You know, I remember being a kid listening to that song over and over, you know, um, mm. and it brings up colors. It brings up smells, uh, you know. Uh, I can't tell if today's generation are, are going to be able to do that 
if it's something that is just linked to a specific age and not necessarily to the, to the way that you enjoy the music or that we enjoy the music and they do enjoy the music. But to me, it's definitely different. I think the music, it was associated, the way that we enjoyed music was associated to other gestures and other behaviors that made it mm. more, more real, more tangible. Uh, whether it was the format of the record or the cassette of the noise of the, the noise coming in when you press play on the tape deck and mm. then the music and you could hear, you know, in the background, you could hear a little bit of the music and then the music would kick in. I mean, all those things, you know, that there are, that are emotionally, you know, tattooed in my mind, in my heart, essentially. And nowadays yeah, sure. I try to make up for it with high res to a certain extent, you know. But I think it's, I think that's more of an age thing than a change in the way that we consume music. I mean, I think kids today listening to Spotify will still be having similar levels of um, intensity and romance around. I don't mean romance and love. I mean this the romantic ideal of listening to music. They'll still get that, but maybe associate it in a slightly different way because they've known nothing else. So for them, no, I, I agree that I did. I agree with you that I have known something else, but I think it's so much in function of the time spent as right. well that I. Th so I think there'll be emotionally they'll just get as emotional i just it's just like they'll swim the same distance i just don't think they'll go as deep in this in the water as we went that's all that's interesting right i haven't really i hadn't really thought about it that way but i guess i can yeah i can definitely see your point all right so with most of the world being in lockdown now you can't go out on tour with either you know with any of your musical projects i mean how hard is that hitting you as a musician as a musician being my profession is hitting me very hard in the sense that mm. obviously I had to cancel any sort of obligation for the rest of the year mm. for the rest of the foreseeable future in the sense that it'd be it'd be you know irresponsible to make plans at this stage yeah uh, luckily um I've always been a child not only in making music but also making a living off it in the sense that I get tired of doing only one thing and that sort of made me sort of, you know, uh, have a, um, a varied portfolio, if you will, when it comes right. to what I do. So, you know, it's not just making records and touring my own stuff or nine inch nails, but, uh, I, I score as well. And, uh, so I, luckily there's a few projects that I have left that are still going on and that actually can take advantage of me being in a studio, even though, you know, people assume that now that we're home, all we want to do is making music, but you know, it's, you know, being creative is such, so much in function of feeling at ease and feeling at peace that yeah, it's, right. it's, 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 it's more the music listening that I do to keep calm than the music making these days. But mm. I think there's going to be a lot to figure out. I mean, I think that of all the places that we could be, Germany is the best one because they already agree, took, yeah. took essentially very important and meaningful steps towards artists and freelancers that yeah. found themselves in the position of being, you know, uh, in danger because of lack of income due to, to coronavirus. And so mm. we're all very thankful for that. Uh, but I think it's going to be a, you know, a time to, to, to introspect and to learn about ourselves more and to figure out what's important. I mean, I think music will always have a place, but it's definitely going to be rearranged the way that it'll be consumed, I think. So we'll, we'll have to figure it out. I'm not, I'm not desperate. I'm, I'm worried like everybody else, but since it's a worry that cannot be solved on a daily basis, I'm trying not to let it, you know, uh, drive me nuts at this stage. Yeah. I mean, do you think it'll make 
it'll change the way or it'll, it'll have an impact upon the type of music you make. I mean, I mean, for example, listening to your last record though, with, with Daniel Avery, I mean, that's quite a dystopian sounding record. Yeah, I was going to say, well, right. I mean, I hope it doesn't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> right, so maybe... No, I don't think, you know, I've always played melancholic stuff in the sense that, I mean, mm. I don't think my stuff is sad, but I think it's definitely, it's the equivalent. The, the music that I, that I, I get involved with usually ha- is the, you know, the sonic equivalent of leaving summer camp in the back of your parents' car. You know what I mean? Mm that uh, great memories, but also a tear in your eye because it's just not there anymore. And, you know, you're, you're missing out in a way. Right. Uh, so I think they'll always be there, but I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know where it's, it's very hard for me to, to know where it'll go, what, what it will be that will make me happy. Cause you know, music to me is therapy. You know, I make it for myself. I never make it in function of what the record previous record was or, or, what I think people might like. And I'm not saying this in a pretentious way. I just think that uh, um, I was able to understand with time that what, what I make for myself, what makes me feel good as a human being musically tends to have a connection, a deeper connection, even to the people with the people that listen to it when I present it live or as of in the form of a record. So I, I've learned to follow that, that rule. Um, and, and so I just, you know, make music that makes me happy. And one time could be the stuff, you know, like the Sonno and Risveglio records, which were records that I made to fall asleep to, to relax, mm. to Avanti, which was a record that I composed scoring my family's Super 8 videos from the 60s and 70s, huh. uh, to Volume Massimo, which was more about, you know, more of a studio record, uh, but, but still based on things that made me feel good, you know? Mm. Yeah, right. Okay, so where can people find your music i mean and i know that streaming service is the obvious answer but i mean i mean you have a band camp page but do you have several band camp pages or just one i have a uh, one main band camp page which is my last name cortini at uh, cortini.bandcamp.com uh, c-o-r-t-i-n-i and uh i've uploaded all my releases there so everything everything that i released is up there um i wanted to have a place where people could just listen to everything without having to scour the internet. And then if they wanted to support, they can buy it there. And it's all digital, obviously. The, the copies are still distributed by labels, so they would be in stores and mail orders, but I'm not equipped now to, to be able to sell physicals. But all the digital and lossless and some of them high res are available on Bandcamp. Right, right. And did you play on the um, on the Ghosts release that just came out for Nine Inch No, I played on the first... In the first first four, uh, I, I was uh, and and the first four, which were I don't remember what year, probably 2000, 2008, 2009, 2008, yeah. 2007, 2008, We did the first first four volumes, and uh, yeah. that was kind of part part of the you know my beginning in instrumental music because I really enjoyed doing that, and huh. that's when I started doing you know doing it on my own. Oh, okay, so that's already what kind of kickstarted your. Love of synthesizers, or did that come beforehand? No, uh, synthesizers I was already in love with, and that's sort of like what got me the gig with Nine Inch Nails. But um, right. the love for for music that wasn't necessarily linked to a structure like I was taught that it was, quote-unquote, supposed to be, like, you know, songs particularly, and, and that a piece of music that might have been 30 minutes of white noise or uh, could be as if, as a... Uh, satisfying emotionally as a whole symphony, a Beethoven symphony. It didn't matter mm. as long as there was an emotional response. And um, th- working on that record allowed me to understand that there were no rules, you know, as long as uh, you were satisfying an emotional thirst or you were tickling an emotional 
you know, uh, necessity, then, then it'd be fine. It, that there, it's not written anywhere that a piece of music has to be under five minutes or six minutes. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that it can't be, I'm just saying sure. that the moment that I realized that none of that was real, I found more of a place to be creative and by consequence being happy. So it sort of freed you up. It freed up your. Exactly. Your yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, Alessandra, I, I told you this last time we spoke, but you know, one of the reasons I moved to Berlin was to come and talk to people like you, electronic musicians. I don't want to use the word just electronic, but musicians who also had an interest in audiophile gear. So I want to thank you um, for talking to me today and help, help helping me sort of realize that small ambition, you know, of moving here. It's been, it's been great. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we crossed paths and I'm, I'm sure it'll be the first of a series. I hope so. Yes, yes. Let's um, let's consider doing this again sometime in in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and our guest today, Alessandro Cortini, and all music featured in this podcast was kindly supplied by Alessandro Cotini.